Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. Friday edition of my independence report. Uh, this is a little bit later than we normally do it, but that's perfectly okay because we've got an exceptional guest for the entire hour, and we're going to be talking with Holly Berry, and i got to tell you a quick story about that. I met her, oh, what has been, three weeks ago now? Um, right, right about three weeks ago because uh, my dear mother uh, passed suddenly, and, um, and we, my sister had picked the funeral home that we were going to use and and had done all that ahead of time and uh, one of the things that we had to do was to uh for do paperwork and that sort of thing to so that my mother could um, uh, be taken there and I, that's where i met holly she is a funeral director at a local uh, um funeral home and um has been doing that for a while and uh, she loves podcasts and so i wanted to have her on because i really you know, as we talked about before, Holly, first of all, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Oh, thank you, Kevin, so much. I'm great. <laughs> oh, good. Now, funeral directors, generally speaking, stay kind of out of the limelight. They are they're they're one of those professions the, the working in a funeral home that we don't want to know about <laughs> until we need one. But I right. think but don't you think that it's important that we know about them so that we can make decisions better than if when we walk in blind because a lot of times we're hurting we've we're suffering from grief and by the way you handled us just beautifully i want to thank you for that oh you're so welcome i'm glad it's it's always the goal is to you know be the assist and help make everything as seamless as possible especially when people are in the middle of grief like that so i'm glad we could do that for you how do you let's let's talk about Holly, how, first of all, do you go to work in that environment and and go home and have a normal life after that? Uh, similarly to most, um, I would say, like first responders or I actually transitioned into mortuary from healthcare, And at the time um, when that happened, I was working in the ER. Um, so it was actually less stressful <laughs> to work at the funeral home. Um, from there. But yeah, there is there's a high amount of um, burnout if people aren't careful, and they definitely need to be aware of um, compassion fatigue, I think is a term that if people uh, read about it and educate themselves when they're in those types of industries, it can really help them offset any big impact. What did you do in the ER? In the ER, in the ER, I was an admit rep. So the person that you would hand your insurance card to, and then we'd um, if we couldn't, you know, meet someone at the front, we'd have to go meet the ambulance in the back to help get the wristbands and double check identities and try to, you know, get everything like that. And it wasn't usually very slow, but when it was, we could, you know, help people get water or magazine or, you know, anything the nurses would let us do. <laughs> oh my, my, my goodness gracious. So that, and that would be a, a lot of, um, uh, that would be a lot of short-term stress. Right. Yeah. Yep. 
yeah, you only see someone for, you know, like minutes at a time, whereas with the funeral directing, um, especially with the smaller organizations, like the one your family used, you're, you know, more connected to the family on an ongoing basis throughout the whole process. Maybe not so much the big corporate places where the positions are more segmented um, Ford factory style, but at the smaller ones, there's a huge sharing of roles. So. I just wanted to point out, are you tapping your hands or fingers? Oh, or... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know it's a, it's, it's a, it's a nervous thing and, and that's okay. But I wanted the, 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 uh, the, uh, audio. Audio to come out really good. So, um, but so when you're doing, when you're dealing, so first of all, I got to tell you, because you seem like you're very young, but you've been in the floral designing industry. You've been in the emergency room. You, you were a, and you've been in the, the, um, the I, we'll call it the last responder. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that term when you use the, the last responder industry for a, for a while. How long have you been doing this? Yeah. Um, well, which one, all of it or <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's go the last responder one. How long sure. Yeah. Been? Mortuary. Absolutely. So, um, for the last about 11 years and that started, um, like I said, when I was working in the ER and when you were was, 12, no, no, I'm in my forties. <laughs> oh, you are not. Yeah. Um, but I'll let my mom know. She always loves to hear it when people are like, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the, um, so the last 11 years, and it was a transition from healthcare. I was going to school for nursing and the hospital said, okay, we'll pay for nursing if you work full time. And the school said, you can only do your floor clinicals and graduate if you don't work at all. And so I was like, well, what do I do with this degree that, you know, is write everything except for that last piece for nursing. And um, we were actually at my sister-in-law's mom's funeral at the time. And my partner turned to me and he was like, well, have you ever thought about being a funeral director? And I'm like, I have no idea what that is. And so in the ER in the middle of the night, you know, trying to figure out your life trajectory and my degree actually was almost everything I needed to be a funeral director. I just needed to find an internship because you have like a sponsor and a state, you know, tracked internship. And so I was like, well, I'll give myself, you know, a year and see if I get an internship. And I ended up um, getting one in about six months, I think, at that point. And that's where the the path went that way. <laughs> and so when you get into the mortuary business, where do you start? Yeah, well, you can start in a lot of different areas. A lot of people think um, going to school first is where to start. I've actually, when I was a manager, I actually hired people that were in the mortuary um, program at Washington Tech. And then I, at one point I got a call at 3 a.m. and the poor gal was just in tears and she's like, I did my first removal and I can't do this. And, you know, so sometimes school might not be the best place to start. You can, um, a really good entry job that they always need help for is the removal technicians because people will pass away 24 hours a day and then we have to bring them into mortuary care. And so they can, you know, pass away at home. It can be in a hospital. You know, there's just, I think we've one cruise ship. We had to go on a cruise ship one time even. So, oh dear. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's life and it happens everywhere and anywhere and at any time. And you need the removal technicians um, to help start the whole process. And that was my, my first job right before the internship. Yeah. Well, we were uh, waiting for my mom to be removed. And, uh, and it was, uh, they didn't get there till about 10 o'clock. 
and uh, they each had their own van in case they get a call for, I suppose, multiple people uh, mm-hmm. that they have to remove, which would be uh, anyway. Um, and and uh, I said, you know, are you guys done for the night? Thank you for coming. And he said, oh, no, 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 we're just beginning. And it was like, you mean that you have a graveyard shift at the graveyard? And apparently <laughs> you do. Oh my gosh, someday there should be, and if there already is, let me know, uh, send me a link, but a book of all the puns related to death, because I have heard thousands of them by now, because it's such a great icebreaker, you know, for people, and there's always a new one, though, there's always a new one, which I love, and that's actually one I hadn't heard before. (laughs) (laughs) I'm famous for coming up with weird stuff that nobody has ever heard of before, but but it's, so you started as a, as a removal, they call them a removal technician, which is basically, um, you, you take the person and you put them on a gurney and then you put them in the van and, and you say goodbye to the folks. If there are people that are there right. and you remove the furniture, the, uh, uh, jewelry and, and that sort of thing. And I got to tell you, the, the, the guy and gal that, that helped us were just, they were phenomenal. They, 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 and everybody is so caring and, and so loving. It's, I really appreciate how hard you guys work at, at making that environment happen. Oh, absolutely. I'll definitely pass that on. Yeah, it's it's usually a van. Um, and then it's usually the gurneys are similar to hospital styled gurneys, but they're specific to mortuary. You know, we don't have to worry about IV bags or anything like that, you know, that are going with the person on a little, you know, standalone wheelie or anything like that. But um, it's yeah, it's so um I don't even know the right word for it. It's so unique. Like every family and every situation you walk into, everyone is so engaged at that moment because it's you're right at the beginning of the whole process. And it takes, I think, people that can do that and walk into that and do it repeatedly. I think I stopped counting at over 300 removals myself. Um, I think it takes really, really big souls or old souls or kind souls, you know, to just be there and want to help and just do what you can, you know, in a hard situation that no one wants to be in. One of the gals that, that came to our, to remove my mom. Now my mom soaking wet weighed about 95 pounds. <laughs> um, but this, this girl was skinnier than, I mean, she was like really, 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 really tiny. It was like, what do you do? When there's a 350 pound guy that's lying in, 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 in uh, she really didn't tell us how she managed that, but how yeah. did she manage well, that? who, who knows if she's got that opportunity yet? <laughs> I might not know. Um, yeah, no, I've been, I think one of the, and there are, you know, slings and, and all kinds of different tools to help with it. But I think one of the, one I, we had the most people there for, we had everyone except for one person, one man standing back at the actual funeral home. So I think we had five people um, there on site to help because the person was about 300 pounds. And so you do the best you can because people, especially, you know, are not shaped like, you know, a easy box to, you know, necessarily just pick up and, and move. You have to, you know, work with hands, work with legs, watch the head. And so um, in really, really tough scenarios, you know, where people are like trapped in some sort of room or, you know, they were in the bathroom and they, you know, fell sideways and, you know, they just don't fit out the front door. We can call um, the fire department and, you know, people like that. But they generally don't prefer it when we do that because that's they're like, well, that's your job. Why are you calling us? It's like, no, we, we need the help. Seriously, we're calling because we've tried everything. So. 
So I suppose that you have seen in your working time every possible position and activity that people are engaged in when they expire. Not sports. I've heard of people passing away in the middle of like playing tennis and things like that. I've never had that personally. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and and I was going to make a joke about Richard Pryor's father, but I probably shouldn't <laughs> say that. Um, but uh, so you've been, but people die. As a matter of fact, I, I my ex-wife's um, had an aunt who expired on the toilet. So you've mm -hmm. had people that that's happened to as well. They yeah, yeah, and that's actually a really common place. So um, in Washington, there's a real good process where usually medical or um, the coroner, someone is involved before we're involved. But um, with heart attacks, um, a lot of times people feel like they have to go to the bathroom right before they have the heart attack. And so that is a really common place where people will pass away. And if the um, medical examiner says, okay, well, it's it's normal. That doesn't look like there's any reason why we need to do an autopsy or anything. Then we're allowed to go remove them from where they still are. So, yeah. Now, now my sister had an interesting question and I didn't know the answer to this because there's the question of rigor mortis. Mm -hmm. uh, when a body, when a body is, uh, is gone, uh, how long does it take before that sets in? Yeah, it's so there's it's like a chemical reaction and there's like a, a window of time. So it'll It'll happen at some point, you know, within the first day or so, depending on, you know, the conditions and everything. And then sometimes it'll actually relax as well. So it, it depends on, you know, where the timeline is. And then if, you know, if we're preparing someone for an actual, you know, dressing, viewing, casketing or anything like that, if we have to do an embalming, we actually have to relieve the rigor mortis for, in order for the embalming fluid to be able to get everywhere. And so you have to, you know, kind of start working the joints again to get them flexible. Really? <laughs> the things you didn't know. <laughs> things that I didn't know that, that I, but I got to tell you, uh, Holly, I, I really, um, you'd like to, you'd like to think that nobody would ever need to have that done or to ever for somebody to do that. But, but it's, it's an important function that, that you guys do. And it's, and a lot of people don't want to know about it, which is why I wanted you here. And I'm so glad that you're willing to be open and upfront with everything that has to do with, because it's, it is important that people understand. And we're going to get into the funeral directors and the, the paperwork and the costs and all that kind of stuff in a bit. But uh, after you were done, removing people then you went to work in the crematorium yeah yeah and probably along with it so it wasn't you know i always worked for and still do for small businesses and so the the cool part about that is that you get to do everything and so even though i probably still was doing removals then the next thing is the crematory operators and so I've done that at at least two two companies, two different crematoriums, and been in a lot more than that because a lot of times um, they'll have witness cremations, um, and so. Uh, I, I say, I'm sorry. Say that again. They have what? Witness cremations. So families, especially like the Buddhists, the Sikhs, um, there's certain ones where they, I think Hindu too, they want to be actually there for the beginning of the cremation, and so. Um, they call it a witness cremation because you can kind of witness the beginning of the process for flame-based cremation. I know we have um, more now in Washington. We can do water and organic reduction as of last year, I believe. 
But for the flame-based cremation, um, usually the one of the family members uh, will they'll choose one of them to push the actual start button as well on the machine. And the whole process, depending on what kind of cremation casket you have, will take, you know, hours. And depending on how efficient the uh, retort is, that's the machine that does the cremation. So they generally don't have people stay for the whole thing because it's several hours and it's, you know, very industrial. So the beginning of it to let the family be there to, add any last notes, songs, prayers, photos, flowers, you know, and see that, that start of that process. I had no idea that, so that actually is a religious portion of their religion is to, is to, is to watch the, the part of the cremation. Yeah, um, it does. It does seem to be really popular with certain um, cultures. And so um, I think most of the people that are born and raised in Washington that, you know, maybe aren't in any specific, you know, demographic. It's just kind of the, the been here the whole time type of people. Um, a lot of times they have no idea that you can actually go to the crematory or be around the person other than you, in your brain, you see the movies where it's a casket in a chapel, you know? Oh, exactly. Now, when I was a kid, we lived right next to the cemetery. And my sister and brother and I would be riding bikes and we'd ride bikes in the cemetery because it was quiet and, and there wasn't a lot of traffic and stuff. And then we'd see smoke coming out of this building. Was that, does there, is there actual smoke that comes out of a chimney when, when you're doing a fire-based one? There is. Um, we, at least here in the ones I've worked, you have an afterburner. So they try to keep the air emissions as clean as possible where it tries to reburn the smoke a second time. So it comes out as clear as possible, but it's uh, at least the technology is very, you know, old compared to what it could be nowadays for a lot of them. You know, they'll put it in, you know, the one, the most recent one I worked uh, had gone in in the year 2000. Um, so it's now 21 years old. Um, but yeah, if the settings get off or sometimes what they call um, kind of like a uh, smoking or runaway, um, it's because if you heat up, especially if someone's really large and there's a lot of fat ratio to bone and muscle, um, the fat will melt really fast. And then it's like having, you know, like a lot of wax or like a candle that, that all that oil catches on fire if, if you don't do it nice and slow. <laughs> and so especially inexperienced crematory operators, you have to really um, help them understand the, the math and the temperatures, the airflow and the fuel and, you know, the, and then the, the person that is in there, you know, everyone's specific. So if it's a 300 pound person in there, you need to start really, really slow and really low temperatures. Now you also said something about uh, their water-based one. Is that like there you are. boil them? No, boil? I mean, it's more like alkaline uh, chemicals. So it's called alkaline hydrolysis. It's so new that I don't think we have a common single term yet for it in our state, but people also call it water cremation. Uh, water-based cremation, um, hydro cremation, <laughs> but it's pretty much like it's an it's a big cylinder, and then there'll be a little metal basket on the inside. You can actually look this up on YouTube, and then um, so the person will be in there with um, like no jewelry or anything. You can't have you know any of that extra stuff on, but they'll fill it up in like a like a nice slow spinning whirlpool and then with some alkaline um, chemicals and so the only thing that's left afterward is you know like 
the bone, the, you know, if they had, you know, hip implants, things like that. Um, and so uh, it's more environmentally friendly, usually compared to the flame based, um, because it's way less emissions, it takes a little bit longer. Um, but the cremated remains that do come out afterward, um, are easier to use as far as when people, you know, want to plant a tree with the ashes or something like that, because it's a lower acidity level. Um, and you usually get a higher volume as well because you don't have, you know, some of the more um, smaller parts of it burning off completely. So, so have you have you ever <laughs> have you ever had a dream that that uh, somebody was went in there and then you heard screams or something like that? No, <laughs> no but there was there was an old uh, coworker I had that was not a very nice person, and I think at one point he knew he wasn't a nice person because he was like, "Okay, I need to go in there to fix that," and you know, inside the retort, and he's like, "But you guys all need to go leave, and I'm locking the door so no one's in the main operating room where the buttons are while I'm doing." That. <laughs> Oh dear! Oh dear! Right. So he probably did, but yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I assume that I've always, and this is another question that the, I assume that they are not wearing any clothes when when they go in, and so that you're not burning cloth or that kind of stuff. Or are they dressed? Yeah, no, absolutely. For the flame-based cremation, anything that's easily combustible is completely okay. So a lot of times, if um, the family doesn't want to do um, anything special, it'll be what they came to us. And sometimes they do want someone dressed in a specific outfit. Um, and sometimes they actually want to have something like a short ID viewing or something where there's no embalming, but a little bit of preparation has been done. And so, yeah, it's completely okay. As long as it's not like, you know, really thick rubber shoes, usually they don't like it when people, you know, they try to take glasses off. Um, but no, clothes for the most part, no, no big down park is probably not, you know, but, but yeah, it's totally a normal thing to have someone in clothes for the flame-based cremation. So I've got, I've had both my hips replaced. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and those are pretty large prosthetics, uh, that, and, and stuff. So what happens to that stuff? Yeah. That for a flame-based cremation, right? It probably, yeah. Yeah, you're like maybe that might be the way I go. I don't. Yeah. I don't really care at that point. I hope. If, <laughs> I mean, if if I still care at that point, something's gone horribly wrong. Right. Yeah. No. So that. So for a flame-based cremation, um, the inside of the retort actually looks like a pottery kiln. So it usually has like bricks that line, you know, the whole inside. Um, but it'll they'll be there afterwards. So what usually remains after that is any metal parts. Um, and the bone fragments and then the retort is swept out and from there then you have to clean the fragments so you're pulling out you know any screws any any metal parts things like that and then processing the actual bone that's left so it looks like sand so um people when they get the the box back then it's one consistency if they're trying to scatter ashes it's actually more like sand instead of bone fragments um sometimes um like the Buddhists, they'll want an actual bone fragment to take to the temple. So that's an instance where we'll set aside, you know, and not process like all of it down um, like normal. But yeah, the those different metal pieces like that can go into like um, biohazard uh, medical recycling um, things like that. And the one when I was a crematory operator at the last place, there was a nonprofit um, 
uh, metal recycler and they would we'd keep the big barrel right next to the processor where we you know take care of creating the bone fragments into the the ashes for people so they could you know scatter enter a nice uniform consistency of ashes but yeah the the, the metal would be in the other bin for that there was though there was one family once and i just I loved him to pieces they there i think it was a father and so he had a wife and lots of kids and you know some brothers and sisters but they said okay he's he's had a whole bunch of um you know like uh, rods in his back and everything and so you, and there's a sentence that happens a lot and it's like you've probably never heard this question or you this might be a weird question but and then people will continue it and that like every every week i'll hear that at least once and so they they said we'd actually like that back um he you know he was a grouchy old man by the end of it and a lot of that was due to the pain he was in because of this but we'd actually like that you know all those implants back and so i'm like okay yeah no problem i'll try to clean it up as much as i can for you and <laughs> this thing was like from the the like lumbar back all the way down to both hips. And so it was actually really, really big. And um, I could see why that was a huge part of their lives and that they knew that that was a huge impact on him and why they probably wanted it back so they could actually see and, you know, hold this thing that influenced their family so much. But yeah, and say, this is why, see, this is exactly. why he was, in, he was in such a grouchy mood all the time because he had this 10 pound thing on him. That, mm -hmm. that, that would be awful <laughs> that would be awful again we're talking with holly berry she's a funeral director and we're going to talk about her floral designing career as well as um her uh, schooling and what she's got going because um first of all i can't believe that you're 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 40 um <laughs> and, and you're gonna get your um uh, bachelor's degree in um in 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 management in finance what yeah yeah it's a bachelor of science in business management yep so what decided you to go back to that now? Is it is it just to broaden your horizons? Well, I originally wanted to do it. I started the first time in 2014, but I had to um, work full time for a while to keep my my house and not let that go uh, right around 2008 ish, you know, and between oh, that yeah. and recently. Yeah. So um, started that started it back up in 2019. And I think it's just because it felt like there was more to know and i was curious about so many things and if i couldn't pull out time and dedicate it in a way that was like you know protecting it from work and stuff like that as much as possible that i might never do it and so that's i think just curiosity about life and how business works is what um why i went back i think it's i think it's absolutely awesome because you can you should continue to learn and to grow as you go through life and uh uh you've you've done this doing what you're doing there's not more that you can do there so now go do something else and you can maybe open up your own uh uh funeral business sometime but you're gonna do other stuff i think i think so too yeah i'll probably always keep my license um because that it's just so unique and i had to work so hard for it and you can use it as long as you can walk and talk when you're 80 years old you can be a funeral director <laughs> <laughs> so now when you are first of all let me ask you is um i sense that people being cremated is 
growing and people being buried is because of probably cost, I suppose, mm -hmm. uh, is is less. Is that you know, have you found that to be true? Are they running out of grave graveyards to put people in too? Right. Yeah. Both great questions. And yes, no, you're correct. So uh, cremations, especially like you can definitely track it like easily from 50 years ago, started increasing and you saw the margins for burial to cremation starting to change. The West Coast, way more than the East Coast, has been a big mover of cremations. I think Washington is traditionally one of the highest out of all of the states, like we're usually in the top 10 for volume of cremation to burial. I think you are also right that I think cost was a, definitely a big part of it. And so even though people you know, may want to be buried, if the funds aren't there, um, then you have to really look at what, what can you afford and what are the options. And cremation, you know, traditionally a lot of times provides one of the cheaper options unless people are looking at trying to do body donation. So. I hadn't thought of that, <laughs> but so because like in my family, uh, my father did not want to be cremated. Um, so he is in a crypt. Um, and the way that they worked it was it was a it was a four to one plan. I don't know if you've heard of this before, um, but my um, my mother was going to be cremated and put her ashes in within his crypt. And there are there's room for two more people to be put into that crypt so that all of them get a name tag. Unfortunately, I get left out of the thing because I would be number five. So wow. I, I, I have to go, I have to go somewhere else, but uh, I'll probably have my kid throw me in the ocean or something. Uh, Cause that's, <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say that's actually uh, the Washington State Ferries have a really cool, currently no cost to the family program to be able to let people do that. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Because what we did with my father-in-law was uh, we took him to uh, Ocean Shores. They spent a great deal of time there. And Beautiful. we and we uh, threw him in the ocean. Um, and and his wife, is my mother-in-law, is still in my ex-wife's closet. But that's a story for another time. We won't go there. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, but that's, that is the thing about uh, um, when you decide that you're going to uh, cremate somebody, that they're, it takes away the timeline of when you have to do a memorial service or you have to do a, 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 an open casket or something like that, right? Well, it can help. A lot of people still do want the actual um, cremated remains out of service. And when that is the case, even though that's not the majority of the type of services, um, then they're trying to plan that service around everyone else's schedule. And then they're trying to get us to make sure, you know, do everything we can to make sure that those cremated remains or what people, you know, normally call ashes can be there at the service. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting. Sometimes people will plan that before they even meet with the funeral. <laughs> it's like, OK, now we're going to try to jump through a few hoops here. So. <laughs> Well, I, and I had a friend that um, her father passed away and she wanted and he was a he was a good old Irish man who loved his whiskey. And nice. uh, and so they had a wake for him and uh, they had an open casket and he was he was there for the wake and we're going to have a good time with this glass of beer right here. And so he was there for that. And then they cremated him and then they buried him. And oh, does wow. that happen very often. Uh, the wakes, not as much, but but that's you know, totally a thing that can happen for sure. Yeah. It's I, most of the ones I've been to were, yeah, Catholic or, um, for mil or not military, but like police officer type people where they'll have like a wake. So 
how do you deal with families that are that are deep in grief? Do you go through classes to learn how to deal with that? Yeah, yeah. Part of the whole licensing process is having to um, be educated, you know, not nearly as much as, you know, a doctor or, you know, people that specialize in it, but absolutely having to take grief um, related counseling type education and classes. Yeah. So the one thing and this might be helpful for everyone listening, like if you have a friend or anyone going through grief, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a death, like the one thing that we're trained not to say is it'll be okay. Just never say that. <laughs> What do you mean know, it's gonna be okay? It's not gonna be okay. He's <laughs> dead, damn it. What do you mean it's gonna be? I get it, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, eventually, well, they'll find a new normal, but that's the one thing you don't say because then you're, you know, discrediting their emotions, and their emotions are the thing, you know, that's right up front for them at the time. And so, you know, pretty much just being there, being present, and, you know, listening and acknowledging those are some of the like first things to try to do out of the toolkit. I, I tell you, it's got to be tough sometimes that the raw emotion, because you're talking to people, you know, within days after perhaps a sudden death, perhaps a suicide, something that is, is just horrific. And you're talking to them and they within days and the raw emotion just may, must be horrible. Right. Yeah. Well, when I worked in the ER, um, I definitely saw a lot more of the shock um part of it because you'll get the full spectrum and but with the funeral related stuff sometimes the shocks were off and if if they're the type of people that have the the anger is present then you're you're getting the anger like they're they're gonna be upset no matter what you say to so i admire the way that you handle yourself in a very professional way but also a very caring way by the way i want to um if anybody is interested if anybody's going through grief there is a great book out by, by her her name is elizabeth kubler ross and she's got a book called the five stages of grief if you know somebody that's going through that if you're going through that pick up that book it'll help you navigate the five stages that you go through so that you can come out the better have better for it at the other end. I, I I noticed you were nodding your head in approval. Is that right? Yeah, that's a really popular one. Um, so and that took me back ten years. Like I'm like, yep, yep, there we go. Um, but yeah, along with that too is um, getting connected with any type of um, can pick up the phone and talk to a real person any time of day. There's lots of um, services and 800 numbers and putting that like top of your phone on speed dial, because even if you hate the idea, and I don't know if I said this in, when we met Kevin, but one of the things I always tell families is even if you hate the idea of talking to a stranger having that resource, having it plugged in where you don't even have to think about where to find it. And it's right at the touch of a button for you is so important, especially if you were close to the person, if you lived with them, if you interacted with them on a, you know, weekly basis, especially because that's going to change your whole world, you know, and the, just the blink of an eye, that huge person that you're used to talking to or seeing or, you know, going to lunch with won't be there anymore. And you need that, you need that, that tool that, you know, other voice there that is a real person that you can just call and be like, okay, I'm completely, I don't know, you know, like I'm just crying and I'm supposed to be at the doctor's office in five minutes and snots all over my face. <laughs> <laughs> it it may, may, makes it really, really tough. Um, now you're also in the floral industry and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, but, but in the, in, the reference is in the floral industry, 
you have days that are really busy. Mother's Day, um, uh, Valentine's Day, um, Easter. Those are really big floral days. Do you find that there is, I've heard I've heard this and I kind of believe it, that after holidays, that there's an uptick in when people pass away. Are there kind of highs and lows of when that happens? Yeah. So some of the big ones that I've noticed um, are birthdays. Sometimes people, especially, you know, when they're close to like 100 or 75 or one of the really big ones, they'll hold out for just right after their birthday. I've actually, when I was doing removal technician work, I've picked up people on their birthday that had passed away. So birthdays are a big one. And other than holidays and things like that, strangely enough, things like Super Bowl and the election. (laughs) (laughs) I can believe that. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to vote. Damn it. Then I'm going to be here to vote. And then, yeah, I I get that in the Super Bowl. That's obvious. Especially (laughs) if your your team is playing. You want to, you want to, you know, and I, when my grandfather passed years ago, I felt really sorry because uh, there was a new quarterback for the Huskies, and his name was Sonny Sixkiller. This goes back a ways. And I was sad that he wasn't going to be able to watch Sonny play because he was really looking forward to that. So, right. um, yeah. you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's really hard for, for people. But they do have, there are, like after the holidays, I've heard is another time when, when people tend to go. Yeah, well, and with that, a lot of times, um, winter time. So uh, when people, and I saw this even in the ER, um, it's when people start to talk about it and they want me to respond to it. I'm like, the sun keeps people alive. Like it, it really does like the winter time along with people going indoors more. And so colds and flus and things like that spread faster. Um, you know, then there's depression and things like that as well. And that all plays a factor into, you know, longevity and lively livelihood and all of it so i do have a question about um there's something that's new it just popped into my head and that that is do you have does a protocol is it different for somebody who dies of covid than it then after they're after they pass are there precautions that you have to take that are different yeah, yeah. So there's a uh, PPEs or personal protection equipment. And so having having, you know, the, the full gear, like you look like you're a beekeeper type of thing sometimes is, you know, what you'll see. Um, but I think especially now that um, more information has come out as well. So people are, you know, getting more familiar with the transmission rate and everything like that. Um, we're not wearing beekeeper outfits to outdoor funerals as much. <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's good but but you guys are taking precautions because that virus still can be in the air it can still exist yeah after they pass yeah I'm, I'm really fortunate the place that we work at the owner actually went and bought like tons of those hepa filters and put one on like every desk and still we're still having people if they want to come in person which has really started a lot more now um they we're still asking them to wear masks and we're still trying to keep six feet and you know even though i don't think businesses have to do as much of that now but we're still trying to keep a lot of that in place so it's coming back i'm afraid <laughs> so hopefully in washington we won't see that because we do have a lot of people being vaccinated but but and the commercial for that is please get your vaccine yeah uh, save save somebody it could be you it could be your grandmother uh, that that you might that you might save so so get your vaccine uh i implore you in and stuff so uh, th- th- this has been really fascinating um when you're talking to somebody 
that um, and they're talking about expenses. What can somebody ex- I, I, the typical uh, cremation versus the typical burial? Um, what 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 are they talking? What are we talking about spending? And oh, we didn't mention about how much grave space there is. Are we running out of grave space? Well, there is only you know so much land currently, so. Um, that is a factor. I know like Tahoma National Cemetery, or that's the one closest to us in Washington for uh, national cemeteries that most people work with. Um, if you call the National Scheduling Office to get military scheduling um, in place for a decedent to go to the National Cemetery, they'll actually, if you're on hold, sometimes you're on hold for 45 minutes waiting to get through, but some of them will actually talk about, you know, uh, estimated time before the actual ground space fills up, or we just bought this extra acreage, you know, to extend the ETA date for filling up there. So yeah, that is, that is a factor to consider as far as if you're interested in below ground space with, you know, a dedicated marker and things like that. And what was the next question there? Oh, no, that, that was it. But I wanted to ask you, um, the last thing that I want to talk to you about in in regards to uh, preparing a person is, preparing them for viewing and the embalming process. Oh, that, right. And then the other one was cost. Yeah, go ahead. Whichever one you want next. <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead with you. You do it in any order you lack. Like. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah. So um, with the cost one, um, it, it's a full, full spectrum. So I usually help uh, people understand it um, as far as the industry itself. And then you can go down deeper from there. So the industry itself, you're going to have like, larger corporations. So anywhere that you see the word dignity, that usually they'll have the word dignity on the front gate sign. Usually that's part of a SCI or Service Corporation International facility. And so they're they're one of the larger, if not the largest uh, corporation in America for, the, for mortuary. And so they're traditionally going to be a lot higher, but then you can go middle, middle where there's, you know, smaller corporations with fewer you know, locations all the way down to just the like one location mom and pop places or single cemetery or like county cemetery places. And so knowing what kind of like, like landscape there is can kind of help frame it because a lot of times when people are forced to make the decisions because their loved ones in the hospital morgue and the hospital says we're out of room, you know, other people are dying. You really got to tell us where to send your loved one. They have to make these these decisions really fast with very little information and no background. And so a lot of times I think kind of knowing that overall industry like landscape is helpful. So then once you dive into that, um, I've seen some in, in like our Snohomish County um, region, I've seen some cremations like as low as like 600 and something dollars in, you know, the last 10 years. And then all the way up to, you know, like 2000 something dollars, depending on, you know, where you're at for essentially the same thing. And then other times like for burial, it, it can usually it's like like the direct burials as low as like 900 and something. And that's where the family is like not present for any of it. You know, and but that can go all the way up to like 3000 or more, depending on what kind of services you're wanting. And so that kind of helps give the overall like landscape and a little bit of the generic overall pricing. How much do caskets cost? Mm, you can get and there's different materials, too. And and I'm always trying to educate myself. So if anyone else in the industry is out there saying, oh, you got it wrong, like feel free to, you know, 
find me on my floral <laughs> studio and email me. I'm happy to educate myself better. Um, but yeah, caskets, you can get really plain, you know, pine wood caskets, um, at least where I work currently for under a thousand. And then um, it can go up from there um, for usually for burial purposes. They need something that has like really sturdy handles, um, like rigid, some sort of like rigid or locking handles um, to be able to be considered part of um, the burial process. Although there are green burial cemeteries as well, where you don't have to necessarily have that standard casket or vault or anything. Um, I've never worked like for a cemetery. It's always been as the funeral director for the funeral home, bringing the family and the decedent to a cemetery place. Um, so, but we do sell the caskets. Um, so there's that. And I think there was the process the, for embalming. The next, or yeah. The next step I wanted to talk about was when you're trying to um, prepare somebody for showing, Yeah. Um, I assume they provide you with a picture or how do you know what they look like in life? Yeah. If we're lucky, that's one thing as a funeral director that I always ask for is please, please, please get us a picture that is somewhat recent, not 20 years ago, that it looks like how you want us to try to make them look that is in your head, what you're, you're expecting, because we'll ask for a picture sometimes and they'll give us something from like when they got married 40 years ago. <laughs> I'm like, that's a beautiful photo. How about we save that for the service? <laughs> Do you happen to have anything else? Like, you know, everyone has smartphones now. Are you sure you don't didn't take a picture at all at Thanksgiving? You know, just anything. But yeah. Um, so if we're lucky, if we get a photo like that, um, that is definitely what we can use to help try to make them match what they look like when they were alive. And in the embalming process, are the internal organs taken out? And then it filled with them uh, embalming fluid and that sort of thing. Is that how that works? So we don't actually um, necessarily take the organs out. Um, when people do go to the medical examiner, the medical examiner does do that. They have their whole process um, for trying to determine cause of death or rule out, you know, homicide, things like that. Um, but for the embalming process, uh, generally, we're just trying to replace like the normal um, arter arterial fluids with the preservation fluids. And so if if we don't have to do any autopsy repair or anything like that, um, it can. The ideal case is a one point um, embalming where you just have to do one um, insertion and one um like usually, you know, like one of the arteries where you can put everything in and have all the extra coming out in just one spot. And if and if it can get to all the limbs, to all the feet, to all the hands through that, that's the cleanest. Like that's an embalmer's day daydream is just one point, you know, and that the person can still get it um, through the whole body. So I'm curious to know, and I, I've never heard anybody explain it to me. Perhaps you can. Why do we do that? Why do we embalm people? Yeah, yeah. The So with it being a preservation method, it helps extend the time for being able to do visitations and viewings is I think the main reason it came into being. And so, you know, way, way, way back in the day when people, you know, were at war or anything like that, if their sons mm -hmm. were passing away to get that that person back to their family, that person would just be like nothing, you know, by the time they got them back. And so I think a lot of that was to extend time. Um, and like, if you go even further, you know, back, you know, like if you're looking at like Egyptian things and stuff like that, they were, they were wanting to just be, you know, 
like forever present no matter what <laughs> but nowadays the way in my mind nowadays it's to help relieve a lot of the stress of when to schedule something so if the family knows they do want to have an open casket um if we can give them you know, if we can get permission for the embalming right away the sooner the embalming can happen the better as far as the quality that can come from it and then um the longer depending on you know the the timeline that they're looking at we can use a higher or lower index on um the chemicals and that can help you know make people last a little bit longer and the other part of it though is um in our natural state we're leaky bags <laughs> you know in a graphic way yeah they, <laughs> So yeah, 98% water and we leak all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So by um, even if, you know, it's not a long time out where they want the viewing or visitation, um, some people are totally comfortable with, you know, that being around that, you know, especially like maybe a healthcare worker, but, you know, other people like they're going to be very emotionally disturbed if they're there and all of a sudden, you know, there's some leaking happening. you know, cause there hasn't been any of that preparation for the internal stuff. So. E-gads. Um, <laughs> I, 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 see, it used to be that they had a lot more open caskets, I think, than they do now. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. that really is kind of, it used to be a thing. And uh, as a matter of fact, my grandfather had an open casket and they, and they, I, I guess they took an autopsy of him or they took a brain temperature of him. And and so you know where the pillow and the back of his head meet, the 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 hole was like an inch above the pillow, uh, and so you could so you could readily see that. Yep, he's dead. He's got a hole in his head. Uh, but but um, and the one of and my my uncle um, got hit by seven cars walking up I five. Oh my! So he had a closed casket. I will imagine there's a point in time or a point in disfigurement where you can't it's like Humpty Dumpty you can't put them back together again right yeah I've, I've seen some uh, like really experienced embalmers I just did a five-year embalmer internship so but some of the ones that I interned under had been doing it for decades and decades and I saw them create a whole wax ear one time to help given you know the have both ears back for the person um but there's some amazing things they can do, but yeah, at some point you just don't have enough to work with. Um, so. Oh, it's, it's, I can't imagine. I can't, but you know, I, again, I just want to make sure, first of all, Holly Berry is our guest and she is a funeral director uh, in the state of Washington. And she also is a floral designer. And we're going to talk about that now because you've got uh, a, a company that you do uh, floral designs for, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's called a natural design. It's I call it a studio floral company because I have um, a like office where I can meet people. One of those like workspaces, shared spaces, and so you can like give proposals and you know share the screen and have conference rooms. But then uh, for the brick and mortar part, I use my garage, and so it's awesome because I can have the flowers like delivered to me from the wholesalers, and then I can also get the delivery services if it's like a one-off, you know, daytime you know, birthday flowers for someone 
the courier service can pick it right up from my front door as well and <laughs> take it right to go get delivered. So it's a lot of fun. I think the most fun I've had with it has been with working with local photographers and models over the last couple of years to do portfolio work for social media. Oh, cool. Now, do you also do weddings and that sort of thing? Yeah. You... my. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say my favorite is the micro weddings because I get to do a lot more of the hands on there. But yeah, the events are a lot of fun because you get that overall theme and like being able to brainstorm and imagine and try to understand the people, you know, the bride or the groom's, you know, vision for it. So if somebody wanted to contact you because they need flowers for an occasion, uh, how do they do it? Yeah, it's a naturaldesign.com, just three words. A naturaldesign.com. Uh, you know, I got to tell you the story real quick. Um, um, my um, sister-in-law uh, passed away, and uh, I, I I was doing the, the radio show at the time, and I had a psychic medium that was on, and she said, uh, uh, I said, does she have a message for us? And she said something about yellow roses. So at the, at the memorial service the next day, uh, the place was chock full of yellow roses. Cool. Um, so it was a really, really was a, a cool thing. Um, it's, it's, it's a hard business that you guys do and it's can be kind of thankless, can't it? Yeah. On both, both businesses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, is, that is so true. Um, <laughs> cause my wife was in that, the floral business for a long time. And, and sometimes people are just, they want the world and they want to pay nothing for the world. Yeah, the, the coolest part, though, I think Mother's Day is my absolute favorite holiday because every mother you hand those flowers to is so happy to get them. So they might say they don't like flowers, but if they don't like flowers, at least send them something. <laughs> so now, do you also deliver if you had to get in your truck or van and deliver it? Yeah, I mean, I can, but I tend to try to um, connect with, um, I was using Postmates for a while and uh, they just got bought by Uber. So I'm in the process of interviewing with a replacement so I can, as the small business entrepreneur thing goes, focus on the the main things that only you can do and outsource the rest. Well, I'm, I'm amazed at everything that you're doing and, and that you're continuing to to expand who you are and, and to create new things and, and have that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, do you have any idea what you, how you're going to use your education after you get done in September? Yes. And if you had asked me that six months ago, I probably wouldn't have been able to say yes. <laughs> cool. So yeah, no, it's been a long two and a half years and a lot of, I think I have like more than like five different Google drive folders of just trying to research what on earth I was going to use this business bachelor's for. Um, but I think I'm going to start, um, or I guess continue my curiosity with the financial world. So in 2018, I got I finally got enough bandwidth and time and space to really start deep diving into researching things. And even before that, like, I don't think I had even heard the term passive income until I was in my early thirties. And so there's just, it's similar to mortuary. There's sometimes a really huge gap in our ability to understand that, but you're, you're forced into it at some point, you know, you, I mean, your first job, you're paying taxes, you know, so I am thinking maybe like a financial planner um, work with a brokerage right now. I'm onboarding with them to use the life insurance license because that helps the mortuary families. And then probably within about a year or so, maybe get some more licenses to get the certifications to do a bigger um, capability within that industry. 
What is it about you? Do you think it is that makes you a little bit different in that you are continuing to follow your passion? You're continuing to grow. You always want to learn. You want to do more. It's always about doing more and more and more and more and more. Uh, what's up? You set you apart. Why are you different <laughs> than the rest of us that want to sit on the couch and watch binge watch stuff? I, I think there's actually and like overwhelming and drowning yourself with you know doing too much is definitely something i i have to try to balance but i remember i think it was like oprah was talking about it at one point and she was just like i was raised poor and you know i just wanted to you know work and educate myself as much as i could and so anytime like it seemed like i was stagnating or not moving i had to be moving i had to be moving forward in some way and so i think it's kind of that same little that same little nip of whatever she was describing is like just just learn keep learning keep growing keep seeking <laughs> well you keep doing what you're doing and you're gonna you're gonna be fabulously uh wealthy someday um i'm and, okay with that <laughs> yeah and you and you love and you love podcasts so um uh, one of these days we're gonna have to sit down and chat about that and uh, but first you get out of school and get that done and then uh, i'd love to have you back on to continue our conversation about this because it, um it's pretty interesting and uh but but again i just want to thank you and uh the the home that you work with because you guys were sensational oh, from, awesome. from picking my mom up and taking care of that the, the getting the certificates that we needed the um taking care of her that, that is one question that i did have too is that they they took her from the house and put and she went to a place in i think marysville yeah um and then and then do you guys wait until you get enough people to be able to put together like an eight hour shift or how, how does that work? How do you decide when it's time, when, when to go ahead and perform the action? Yeah. Yeah. Part of what a funeral director does is they help create the death certificate. And so for us to file that death certificate, um, we have to get a doctor to sign off. We have to sign off. We have to get the information from the family. And there's a permit. One of the things that, you know, you never really see in the background that's happening is that golden permit. That's like Willy Wonka's golden <laughs> ticket. That's what we need to be able to um, do what they call a um disposition so burial cremation things like that oh very good so you actually have a doctor on staff or doctor that you have access to that comes to the mortuary to make to say yep they're dead um <laughs> and, and to determine what they got to do yeah well so usually like if there's some sort of um, medical staff like present to actually name the time of death that's actually different than the medical certifier so the medical certifier oftentimes will be like the pcp um, the medical examiner, um, any doctors in the group that the uh, PCP worked with, or if the person, you know, passed away at a hospital, they'll have hospitalists and groups um, that have access to this death certificate process like we do, like Social Security is also connected to that online system as well. So it's it's a whole bunch of people coming together from different sides to help create that death certificate. So there was, so was there extra that you, they needed to do with my mom because she was 90 years old and we figured well you know she made it to 90 which is longer than a lot of people do so it's just natural causes is, is that just kind of you just write it off to natural causes in that case and just let it go or do the, you still have to go through all these steps no, you, the steps are the same. Like you still have to get all the, the checks and balances. Um, the, the specific cause of death um, when you, and I haven't seen hers lately um, 
So when you look at it on the bottom, you're going to have like four different lines and it's going to have like primary cause, secondary, tertiary. Um, and so that's where the medical certifier will put in their, um, their information there. And it's usually on the bottom half of the death certificate and you can see who the name was of the medical certifier. So there actually would be even somebody like my mom, there would be an official quote unquote official cause of death and yeah. maybe just natural causes. Correct. Yep. And, and which would probably make a great deal of sense because, you know, uh, her, her her car just wore out. So it was time for her to be done with that car and go go to heaven. So and, uh, if, and if it said natural causes at that age she's one of the in my opinion, one of the lucky ones, because that's that sounds a lot more peaceful. <laughs> She, her father, uh, died of a heart attack sitting in his chair. Mm. She always wanted our, our worst fear was that her mind was going to go before her body went because her body was strong, her good heart, good lungs and all that. And we were scared that she was going to end up in a assisted living unit for years. As my sister said, sitting in a wheelchair drooling, um, and, uh, she was talking about herself. My sister was, by the way, and that uh, she doesn't want that to happen to her. But but in this case, she when she was found, um, the Bible was open sitting next to her. Um, she was looked very peaceful um, and uh, she got to go exactly how she lived. And, and that's that's we can't we couldn't have asked for a better place. Oh, gosh, that makes me always feel so happy from the inside when I hear that when if we connect again, when we connect again, I'll have to tell you my two favorite removals that I did that remind me of your mom's passing. Oh, cool. That, that, that'd be awesome. Because because I've, I've the one last thing that I want, want to touch on is um, did you ever have to do suicidal um, uh, removals? So not not at the site because even though we receive those people into our care the when it's like suicide or homicide if there's any inclination of that at all the medical examiner takes custody because they have to potentially do an autopsy the way the state laws are written so we'll, we'll get them after after that but the initial removal if we show up and for some reason you know met like the police haven't already been called. That's we're we're supposed to call them and let them know hey this looks like it might be that you need to come check it out here you know, now that you mention it, I remember that happening when I was years younger. Uh, I witnessed a suicide. He put a, a, a gun in his mouth, and the um, and the paramedics came. And when they just determined that his head was gone, then they they brought the bag and put him in a bag, and and they took him with them because they had to take him to the, I assume, the medical examiner. Yeah, um, coroner. They're synonymous. Yeah, something like that. So. Yep. So and then and then they would come to you. So right. I gosh, you must have a stomach of iron. <laughs> the yeah, anything visual I can handle. It's the smell sometimes. I haven't thrown up yet though. <laughs> now there's a badge of honor. <laughs> right, it really is. <laughs> I, I I almost threw up changing a diaper one time. That was not. It was not probably not a good idea. <laughs> to be doing that kind of work but um holly um buy flowers from her go what, where do they need to go to get that done again oh yeah the studio it's three words a natural design.com 
And she's got lots of pictures on, on her site of the type of work she does. It's very reasonable and she does it. She does a terrific job. Thank you for doing this and congratulations on graduating in, in, uh, end of September. Yeah. And, uh, and then you and I need to talk more about different things and stuff. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait. And huge congratulations on hitting 350 episodes. That is phenomenal. I can't wait to hear more. <laughs> Thank you so well. This one is going to be up, and I want you to listen to it because you're 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 really good. Uh, you you could do this. You could do this. Holly Berry has been our guest. She's a funeral director uh, amongst a whole bunch of other stuff, and she's a really nice lady. So, uh, and congratulations on graduating again. You stay right there, and I got to do this, and I'll be right back. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other is all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.